together. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's have a word of prayer together, and then we'll get into uh, the message this morning. Father, thank you so much for um, everyone who's here today, Lord. And we want to lift up those who we love, a part of our families, our church family, who aren't able to be here as well, Lord. We think of Neil this morning, and uh, Lord, we pray that you would be with him and, and bring him back to health. Think of Pastor Yeomans and the Yeomans family. Pray for the Hollands as well, Lord. Many others in our church who are sick or quarantined or isolated, Lord. We just lift them up to you. Help us to be unified through this difficult time and to love one another. Lord, this morning as we come to your word, I pray you'd help us to approach it um, seriously. Lord, would you speak to our hearts? I know how you've used this message in my own heart, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak to all of us today. I pray you'd help me to be faithful to the word. Help me to share exactly what you want us to hear this morning. Lord, we want this time to honor and glorify you, Lord. So we ask that you be with us in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. A few months ago, after a morning service, uh, somebody in our church came up to me and asked me a question. Pastor Yeomans was preaching that morning, and I don't remember for sure what he was preaching on, uh, but I think he mentioned something about uh, pleasing God or living a life that pleases God. Uh, And the person came up to me in the church, and they said, hey, I got a question for you. He said, how do we know when I'm making God happy? How do I know when my life is pleasing God? He said, here's a message for you. And so this message is a response to that question. Uh, That was something I began to think about, and as I was reading through the New Testament, God kind of brought this passage to mind. I remembered that question, and so that's where this message in my heart kind of came from, and it really is a good question. How do we know that we're living lives that please God? As we look at a new year and we look at making goals and aspirations and trying to be more in the new year than we were in the year past, we could ask ourselves, how can we set goals and make decisions and live lives that please God in 2022? Maybe you felt sometimes like that's just a a hard question to answer. How do you really live the successful Christian life? Are you living a life that pleases God? Is that even attainable, something that we can do? Maybe you're not sure. You're like, I just don't know if I'm doing the right things, or I don't know if I'm doing enough of the right things. How do I know that I'm pleasing God? Maybe you've even felt like you know more about what Christians are not supposed to do than what Christians are supposed to do, right? Sometimes perhaps you feel that way. I know what I'm not supposed to do, but what am I supposed to do? How can I live in a way that pleases God? I got to be honest, throughout my life, I feel very blessed to be able to say that um, I've, I've felt like in many areas of God's will for my life that he had very clearly laid it out for me the next step, each step of the way. And I feel very blessed to be able to say that. Some of you know this, but Aloma and I met at a very young age. We started being interested in each other and dating through high school, all through college together. And so I was never really wrestling with the idea of, God, you know, who, who do you want me to marry? Or that big question for me was, was settled in some way at a pretty young age. Even coming here to Bible Baptist Church, when I was just 12 or 13 years old at a youth conference, I surrendered my life to Christ. And Pastor Stone was there, and he said, he said, when you get to your junior year of Bible college, he said, call me. And I said, all right. And then before then, I was wrestling with where to go to school and how to follow God's will and, and follow the call he had put on my life to preach and to go to ministry. And, and I called Pastor Stone. He said, come up and meet with me. And he said, would you come and work with us in the summer in St. Thomas? And I began, began to get connected here at Bible Baptist Church. And God began to open the door for a future ministry for Aloma and I and for our family. So many of these big questions in life, he seemed to clearly open the door and lay them out for me. But I'll be honest, over the last couple of years, I've probably struggled with the question of what am I supposed to do more than any other time in my life. I've looked at the world around me. 
I've looked at our community, the pandemic, suicide rates, systemic sin, corrupted power, and thought, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? What, am I, what, what can Levi do? How can I, in the midst of a world that seems to want nothing to do with God, how can I make a difference? How can I please you? How can I shine a light? I've struggled with that question more than probably ever before in my life in these last few years. And so today I want to try to answer that question from this text. How do we, in the middle of a world that seems to want nothing to do with God, how do we live lives that please Him? And so let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'd like to read our entire text this morning, verses 1 through 12. So we'll start 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 1. The Bible says this, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them which are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. Here in 1 Thessalonians, this book is written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. If you'd like to do some extra reading this afternoon, you can go look at Acts chapter 17, and you can read the history of how this church came to be. Uh, but Paul and Silas uh, were preaching in Thessalonica, and this is a Greco-Roman area. So it's filled, filled with, and this church began to be filled with uh, primarily Greek people not just a, a Jewish or Roman people. And so these are people who don't have the same history in religion that other the Jewish believers would have. It was a church made up mostly of Greeks. And so they began to preach, and these Grecian people were getting saved out of a wicked culture and coming to Christ. This is what Warren Wiersbe said in his commentary about the culture of the day. He said, immorality was a way of life, and thanks to slavery, people had leisure time to indulge in the latest pleasures. The Christian message of holy living was new to the culture, and it was not easy for these young believers to fight temptation around them. They lived in a wicked day, in a wicked culture, but people were getting saved and coming to Christ, and they were facing all kinds of temptations around them. Not only were they facing temptations, but they were also facing persecutions. Caesar was in charge of the area. He was king. And so the fact that these new believers were claiming Jesus as king and Jesus as Lord and were following him in defiance of Caesar did not go over very well with the government. So now they're facing persecution so badly that Paul and Silas, the ones who started the church, have to flee. So Paul and Silas have, have, have 
fled. They're no longer with the believers. And they're writing this letter back to the church to encourage them, to thank them for being faithful, and to give them instruction and teaching on how to stay faithful to God, how to live a life that pleases God in the midst of a culture of temptation and persecution. I can't help but see the parallels between the culture of that day and the culture of today. A world that's full of temptation, a world that wants nothing to do with God, and a world, to be honest with you, as Pastor Stone mentioned this morning, as we're seeing more and more uh, difficulties and even persecutions around the world. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we look through the message this morning. But Paul's desire for this young church is that they would be able to live lives that please God. He says that in verse 1. You've received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. He said, this is how you should live, this is how you should walk, and this is how you can please God. So that's the question we want to answer. How do we live lives that please God? And I'm going to give you the answer right now. We can go home. Ready? Here's the answer. I think it's found clearly in verse number three. He says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you would abstain from fornication. The will of God for each and every single one of us today. I can't tell you every specific area of God's will for your life, but this I can tell you all of us together. This is the will of God for our lives, that we would be sanctified and abstain from fornication. To put it simply this morning, a way that we can please God and live a life that is pleasing to Him is to live a holy life set apart to and for God. You see the definition here on the screen. A life that pleases God is holy, set apart to and for God. Really, this whole concept comes down and this whole text speaks about this issue of holiness. We are called to be holy, to be unique, to be distinct, to be set apart to and for God in a culture that wants nothing to do with Him. There we go. Simple answer, right? Live a holy life. But practically, what does that mean? And what does it look like for us to live holy lives in 2022? That's what I want to try to answer in the next few moments. We know where we're going. We want to live a holy life set apart to and for God. But let's try to see how we can do that. Holiness is an attribute of God. God is holy. All throughout the scripture, probably more than any other attribute of God, we see that God is holy. In fact, in the Old Testament, famously in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that uh, the angels would cry out to him, holy, holy, holy. In the language, that was for emphasis. They wouldn't maybe say holy and holier or holiest. They would just emphasize and repeat the same word, holy, holy, holy. God is altogether unique and perfect and set apart from all other creation. and dis- He is distinct. He is holy. That is who God is. And that may seem a little unattainable for us, but I want you to know that holiness is what we call a communicable attribute. I know it's a big word. Don't get lost. Here's what that means. It means it's an attribute that God has, but we also share. It's an attribute that we can grow in as his creation. That as we know God and get to know God more, we can be more holy, like love. God is love, but we as his children can also love and can grow in our love for God and for others as we grow in our relationship to him. There are some attributes of God that we do not share. Omnipotence, right? God is all-powerful. The more you read your Bible, you will not become all-powerful. I'm sorry. It's not a Marvel movie, right? I wish maybe that's the way it was. But if you read your Bible and you're close with God, you will not become all-powerful or all-knowing. But you will become more loving and you can become more holy. 
So though it seems unattainable to be at holiness the level of God, we will not be perfect, but we can grow in our sanctification and our holiness to be set apart to and for God. And so let's look this morning at three ways that we can grow in our holiness and be set apart to and for God from this passage. The first one I would like to look at this morning is that we should be set apart in purity. Set apart in purity. Verses 3 through 8 of this passage passage deal specifically with the area of sexual purity. I've mentioned to you before that this was an extremely wicked culture. Sex was the God of the day. Marriage and divorce carried little to no weight, often mostly business transactions, someone to run the state of your affairs. People were married to be divorced and divorced to be married, I read in one commentary. For Christians to be sexually pure in all areas of their life would be so countercultural in this day, and it would be so countercultural today, to be set apart in our purity. It's fascinating that in verse number three, we see that the Bible uses the word will. This is the will of God that you, uh, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Because this area of purity truly is a battle and a matter of the will. It's a battle between honoring God and his plan for us and following our own desires and lusts. It's a battle, one that all of us fight. You know, God created sex, and he created it to be a beautiful thing within the boundaries of a marriage between a husband and a wife. But so often, our culture, and even sometimes ourselves, we change our focus from worshiping the creator and worship God's creation. His creation, something that was good to be enjoyed for us within a healthy boundary, becomes the object of our life and our uh, devotion. And we get so confused, and we get on the wrong track. So verse 3, the Bible tells us to abstain, to avoid fornication. That word fornication is uh, sort of like an umbrella term, referring to any sexual activity outside of marriage, outside of God's ordained plan for us. In this culture and today, that could refer to extramarital affairs, pornography, prostitution, homosexuality, anything that was outside of the God-ordained and God-honoring boundaries of marriage between a husband and and a wife. Matthew chapter 5 makes it clear that this could even refer to our thought life, right? Matthew 5 verse 28, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in, her, in his heart. God takes this matter very, very seriously, and he says for us to avoid and abstain from all uh, sexual activity outside of the boundaries of marriage. Notice how this good thing that God created is to be sanctified or set apart for a certain time, person, and purpose in our lives. We're called to be pure and holy. Let's continue in the passage. Verse 4, the Bible says this, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. We should be temperate, in control of our bodies and our desires, and completely committed to our spouses. Set apart from the world in a way that we dedicate our bodies, thoughts, actions, and desires to God's plan for us. In these next few verses, I want to look quickly at a few reasons as to why it is so important for us to remain pure and set apart in our purity to God. Let's look at verse number five. He says, uh, Paul says this, not, even, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. This is 
the first reason we should avoid this temptation and sin in our life because that is a characteristic of someone who does not know God. If we are to be holy and set apart in this world and to have a testimony of the, as the children of God, we cannot act as those who do not know God. In fact, I believe the Bible is so clear to say that if we're living in habitual uh, sexual sin, fornication, then we do not know God. And so it's something to take so seriously that we must know God, and by knowing God, we can be pure, but avoid it because otherwise we're no different than those who don't know God at all. Let's look at another reason here in verse number six, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Another reason we should be so careful and take seriously this matter of fornication is because these sins often hurt others. So very few times is it a sin that hurts only ourselves. There are consequences. There are fallouts to these things. How many marriages and families and relationships and churches have been torn apart because of this kind of sin? He says, hey, be careful of this because so many of your brothers have been defrauded by this kind of sin. He said, avoid it because that's the way that the world lives. Avoid it because you're not just going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt your brothers. And lastly, avoid it. And here's a warning from Paul and from God. He says in verse number six, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. So we also have forewarned you and testified. That word avenger is a strong word. God takes this kind of sin seriously. And so reasons why we should be set apart in our purity in a world that is not, because it's how we show the world that we know God, because we don't want to defraud our brothers, and because God is the avenger of this kind of sin. Here's the clear warning, all summed up in verse number seven. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. That is the calling of God on our lives. So at this point, you're saying, all right, Pastor Levi, this is really heavy stuff, and it is. So verse number eight lightens it up a little bit for us. This is my favorite verse. As a preacher, this is a verse that I'm very thankful for. Look at verse number eight. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God. This is Paul's way of saying, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> he's saying, I know some of you don't want to hear this message. I know some of you, this steps on your toes. But he said, hey, don't despise me. This is not a message from me. This is a message from God. And I believe this is a message from God for all of us today. Don't despise man. But if you despise this message, you're despising God who this message is from. We need to commit to be sexually pure and set apart in our purity in this world. I believe sometimes we look at purity as a topic that should be uh, taught to teenagers and single young adults. Say, oh, that's great, Levi, that's great, awesome. Teach that message to the teenagers, they need it. Or teach it to the young adults who are uh, not married. That is, that's who needs to hear that message. And that's true. But purity is a lifelong commitment for all of us. It's not just keeping ourselves until marriage. It's a commitment to put God first in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. To set ourselves apart in our desires to honor and to obey God. To abstain from fornication is as much for the teenager as it is for the couple who's been married for 12 years, or 45, or the single adult, or for me, or for everyone in this church is a commitment that all of us must make. Don't write this off thinking, that's great for somebody else, but not great for me. It's something that all of us need. Yesterday, I was looking over my notes uh, for my message and just sort of praying and reading over my notes, and I was reading this exact point. I was going through uh, this first point here talking about purity, and I got a FaceTime call. I got a, a call from a guy I went to college with who, who was a good friend of mine, and 
Uh, usually, if we're going to FaceTime, we'll text and set up a date, but it was just out of the blue, so I thought it was kind of weird. So I answered. I said, hey, man, how's it going? He said, pretty good. You got a second? I said, sure. What's up? He said, well, um, I'm at home, and my wife's not home, and I'm alone, and I was tempted to do something I shouldn't do. So I just wanted to call you. <laughs> I wanted to call you to tell you that uh, that's where I was struggling with. I didn't want to look at something on my phone. I didn't want to do something I shouldn't have do. So I just thought I'd call you. And maybe we could pray together, take a second to talk. I just, I really didn't want to do something that I shouldn't do. I started to laugh, and then I showed him, I turned my phone, and I showed him what I was doing. I showed him my notes, and we laughed together, and we prayed together. And man, what a lesson that was for me. This is a married man who's been married for almost five years, who takes seriously the commitment to purity. He said, hey, I don't want to defraud my wife. I don't want to hurt others. I don't want to do something that I'm not supposed to do. So passionately committed to purity that he was willing to, in humility, call somebody, confess sin, ask for help, ask for prayer. That's the kind of attitude we need to have about our purity. Not in judgment, looking down to each other, but as a church family, encouraging each other, committing to be pure and set apart in a world that is not. What a testimony of holy living, if we can be pure in a world that is so impure, it'll be powerful. And so today, maybe you need to repent and turn from some sin, confess some sin, commit to living a life that's set apart to God. God is an avenger of our sin, but God is also a loving and forgiving God of second chances, who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't we thankful for that this morning? And so it's not too, you're not too far gone This message does not come out of condemnation. It comes out of encouragement to turn to God today, to confess your sin and to turn to him. Reach out to others in accountability and let's be, as a church, committed to purity. So number one, we want to commit to being set apart in our purity. But number two, we want to commit to being set apart in our charity. Charity. Let's look at verse number nine together. The Bible says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Another way that we're called to be set apart and different or holy is in our love one to another. We ought to be unique from this world in the way that we love each other. Love for each other is the greatest distinguishing mark that a Christian can ever carry. John chapter 13 teaches us that as Jesus sitting with his disciples in the upper room prior to his crucifixion. And he tells them in John 13 and verse 35, he says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The greatest way that the world will know that we're different, that we're unique, that we're God's children, is if we have love for each other. Love for other believers, love as a church family for one another. I think sometimes we use our personal holiness or standards or outward signs of uh, stereotypical Christianity as ways to look down at each other. Well, I dress a certain way and, I, and they don't. Or I look a certain way and they don't. Or I do a certain thing or I don't do a certain thing or I listen to a certain thing or don't. And we use our standards or our holiness as a way to look down on others. But holiness is supposed to motivate us to love. And so if your holiness leads you to judgment over other believers, it's not holiness. Our holiness, and we're called to be set apart in love and charity for the brothers. I love this because Paul is not condemning the church. 
In fact, he's celebrating the church. He's like, church, you have done an awesome job at loving one another. We've heard about it all through all the brothers throughout all of Macedonia. You've been loving them so well. And I say the same thing to you, church family. Aloma and I felt that this week. We felt the love. We felt the encouragement. Thank you. Continue to do that, but we can always grow. Paul says we want to abound more and more. The commandment to love is not because we haven't been loving, but because there's always room for us to grow. In direct contrast to a self-serving, a self-loving, and a self-promoting world, we're called to abound in brotherly love, serving others, putting others first. It's a bond that we have as a family in Christ, and the fellowship that we have in Christ, we're all family together. We can love each other, love our enemies Listen to this, regardless of personality difference, right? Previous conflict. Here's a good one for today. Differing viewpoints and opinions. We're called to love each other. To not allow these things, which are secondary to the love of God, to separate us. We are called to abound more and more in love for the brethren. This church ought to be a beacon of love in this community. Your home ought to be a beacon of love in your neighborhood. Your family ought to be a beacon of love in your greater families and in your workplaces. Everywhere you go, we should be marked by our love for others. Remember this in 1 John chapter 4, the Bible says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Again, an amazing way that we show the world that we're set apart, that we are God's children, because we love one another. I love verse number nine. Paul says, touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. He's like, I don't even really need to write this to you, because ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And isn't that the truth? That the more we know God, the more time we spend with God, and the more we grow in our love to God and our relationship with Him, the easier it is to love others. If we're struggling to love others today, there's a chance that there's probably something wrong with our relationship with God because love for others is a natural outflowing of a life that is fully committed and devoted to Jesus. And so let's today commit to be set apart in our charity. Who is it that you need to love better today? Who is it this year that you want to commit to loving more? What controversial topic or past hurt have you allowed to divide you and stop you from loving others? Let's be set apart and committed to God in our charity and love for each other. And so, so far this morning, we've looked at our purity, we've looked at our charity, and lastly, I'd like to see our testimony set apart in our testimony. Read verse number 12 with me, if you would. There's a statement I want to notice. The Bible says this, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. The phrase there, them which are without, is a reference to non-believers. And the Bible calls us to walk honestly, to live an honest life and have a good testimony towards those who are not believers in our community that they would see us and that we would live life with a great testimony and be a great reflection and representation of Jesus Christ in our communities. There ought to be something different about you. You ought to look a little different than your neighbor, not just in the clothes you wear, but in the way that you live. We're called to be set apart, to be holy, and to make a difference. There's an old, maybe a bit of a cliche statement, right? You can't make a difference if you're not different. 
You've got to be a little different to make a difference. And that's what God is calling us to do. Specifically, how can we do that? How can we set ourselves apart in our testimony? Number one, look at verse number 11. That ye be, uh, sorry, in verse number 11. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business. I love this one. How can we be different? Mind your business. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's basically what he's saying. Study to be quiet and mind your business. That word study here in the ancient English and the Greek as the way it's translated, it doesn't just mean to go to the library and get a book on how to live a quiet life and to study that book. It means to work hard at something, to be diligent. He's saying, hey, be diligent to live a quiet, a restful, peaceful life and to mind your own business. <laughs> Don't get caught up in the affairs of the world, the affairs of your neighbor, the drama of today or celebrity Put your head down. Do what you know you ought to do. Live a quiet and peaceful and restful life. Strive to be that kind of person. We ought not to be so caught up in the world and the drama and the ups and downs of today. As Christians, we're called to study, to be diligent, to live quiet and peaceable lives. The Bible says that as much as lies within us, live peaceably with all men. We ought to have that kind of testimony in our community. Number two, not only should we study to be quiet and mind our business, but Look at verse number 11, it says, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. In this society, as I mentioned earlier, slavery was very, very common. If you were wealthy enough to have slaves or concubines to do your work, uh, it was a sign of social status. And so if you could just pay people to do all of your jobs, you didn't have to work at all, that meant that you were a celebrity or you were wealthy or you were uh, of good reputation in your community. And Paul and, and, and the word from God is saying, hey, no, no, that's not how Christians are supposed to live. We're not supposed to shirk our responsibilities or pay other people to do our work. No, work is from God. God honors hard work, and we are committed to hard labor. God has given all of us a job to do, and we should work hard at it. Whatever our hands finds to do, do it with all of our might. In your job, you ought to have a testimony as a hard worker. You ought to be the hardest worker at your job. That will be different, something different about you. You should stand out in your work ethic and your commitment to doing the jobs that nobody wants to do. Because as Christians, we're not supposed to avoid work. We're not called to just take the easy path or the path of least resistance. We're called to put our hands and our hearts and our might to the job that God has given us to do. So be set apart in our testimony through our work ethic. Set an example to your family of working hard and providing for your family. Because in verse number 12, at the end of the verse, it says that she may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that she may have lack of nothing. Why should we work hard? So we can provide for our families, so that we're not in need. This is really an interesting thought. You know, sometimes as a church family, there will be times where we have to rally around each other. And that's what love does. It sacrifices for each other and serves others. And no doubt we could spend some time this morning and uh, people who have been a part of our church for a long time, I'm sure, could tell stories about maybe difficulties in their life or hard seasons when the church just rallied behind them and supported them with meals or with finances or with help around the house or maybe help moving a piano when you're moving, right? All kinds of things. That's what a church family is all about. But Paul is warning here about, uh, giving us a warning about taking advantage of that kind of kindness, there will be times when all of us uh, will need the church to rally around us. But we should not be that kind of person who does not work hard to provide for our families so that others can pick up the slack. 
That's not the goal and the heart behind a church family at all. In fact, we should provide for our own so that we are ready to serve others when the need arises. It's very similar to what he uh, says in 2 Thessalonians, his second letter to this church in verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse number 8. Paul says this, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if you, if you should not, or sorry, if you would not work, neither should you eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, I love this phrase, working not at all, but our busybodies. <laughs> he says, hey, when we came to see you, we could have asked for your help. We could have asked for you to take care of us and feed our meals. We could have done that, but we didn't. We worked hard to provide for ourselves so we could set you an example of what we want you to do. He said, I hear that there's some in the church who are not working hard, but they're busybodies. Isn't it true? Sometimes it's harder work to make it look like you're busy than actually doing the job you're supposed to do, right? It's harder to make it seem like we're busy. But he says, no, 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 that's not what the church is supposed to be. We set you an example. Work hard. Provide for yourselves and your families. Be ready to serve others when the real needs arise. Don't be a burden on others when you're not providing for your own family. Be set apart in our testimony to the world. Live peaceful and quiet lives, minding to our own business, working hard, providing for our families, and being ready to serve other people. How's your testimony? If we were to interview your neighbors what would they say about your family, your work ethic, your life? Let's be reminded that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are a shining light. Every time we leave this uh, auditorium, we leave this place, we are uh, to be a representation of Jesus Christ. And so let's be set apart in our testimony today. And so we've talked this morning about how we can live lives that please God. Maybe you're sitting here today or you're, perhaps you're watching online and the idea of being holy or set apart or living a life that pleases God seems so foreign to you or maybe just seems like something you'll never, ever attain. I want to draw your attention as we close this morning to one truth that's so important. And it's found in a couple of the passages that we read this morning. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 5, the Bible says this, Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Think of the similarities here between 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth knoweth not God, for God is love. You know, we could strive and work our whole lives to try to do everything right and live a life that pleases God and check the boxes and in our own strength try to be holy and pure and set apart in our testimony and purity and charity. Can I tell you this? We will never achieve this in our own strength. We cannot work our way to heaven. All of these things are outflowing and outpouring of a relationship with God. It is only through Him and His Spirit working through us, working out the salvation that He put into us, that we will be able to be holy and set apart in a world of sin. And so today, perhaps you're like, I don't know, Pastor Leo, that seems crazy. Maybe could it possibly be that you don't know Jesus? Maybe today you could put your faith in him and have a relationship with Christ and begin to see how he can cleanse you and consecrate you and set you apart for something that you never thought you could ever do. Have you put your faith in Christ? Hebrews 11 tells us this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We will never please him, if not out of a life of faith. But Christian today, those of you who are saved and have a relationship with God, 
Are you living a life that pleases God? A life that's holy, set apart to and for God? Would you commit today to being holy and pure in these areas, in our purity, in our charity, and in our testimony? In the middle of, in the middle of a world that's consumed with self and sin and division and hatred and laziness, as God's children, let's be holy, set apart to and for God. If you'd have your heads bowed and eyes closed with me this morning. Perhaps today God has spoken to you about some area of your life that has not been consecrated or set apart to him. Perhaps it's in the area of your purity. Perhaps you need to get some help. Or perhaps you need to just confess some sin to God. Perhaps you need to recommit, even as a married couple today, recommit to being pure in your relationships and being pure to the Lord. Perhaps in your charity. Maybe today you can make a commitment to God and say, God, this year I want to abound and grow in my love for other people more than I ever have before. Maybe that's a decision you could make. Perhaps today you need to say, hey, you know what? I need to work on my testimony. I want to be known as a hard worker. I want to know, be known as someone who's diligent, who studies to be quiet. That's the kind of testimony I need to have. However it is that God has spoken to your heart, I want to encourage you to respond. And maybe today you don't know for sure that you have a home in heaven. You don't know for sure that you're saved. I want to encourage you that right now or after the service to come and talk to myself, Aloma, Pastor Stone, or Ruthie, Come and talk to us. We'd love to take a Bible and share with you how you can know for sure that you have a home in heaven. We'll take just a moment right now. Some music's going to play, and I encourage you to do business with God this morning.